to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There have been big gaps in Michigan's mental health care system for a really long time, and add to that a deadly pandemic that has caused widespread anxiety and forced people to stay inside for months on end, and those gaps have become even wider, and the need to fill them is now more urgent than ever. Yesterday, Senator Debbie Stabenow, Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, and Michigan Department of Health and Human Services Director Elizabeth Hertel announced a new initiative that they say represents the state's largest step forward in ensuring full permanent funding for community mental health and addiction services. Now, this is, uh, if we are to believe what we're hearing and seeing on paper, I would say the biggest step forward in this arena since uh, Governor Ingler really gutted community mental health and addiction services back in the 1990s, uh, a step that even he at this point admits was a real mistake given where it has left us uh, as Michiganders. So here to talk about this new initiative and other news from Capitol Hill is U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. Senator, welcome back to Detroit Today. Well, Stephen, it's it's always great to be with you and particularly to talk about uh, this issue, which has really been a, a passion of mine uh, my entire life. So, yeah, no, uh, I know you've been working and, on this we're a making long time. real headway. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're making real headway with uh, what's happened. So. so so I want to start before we get to the mental health news. I want to talk a little about the passing of former Congressman Dale Kildee, who died at uh, age 92. I know you and he were were pretty close. We were. Um, you know, I feel like we're we're losing so many of our just wonderful, great uh, state people. You know, after losing Senator Levin not long ago, who was just an incredible role model for me and and um, such an, an icon uh, for Detroit and for Michigan. And now Dale. Uh, Kildee, who uh, from the moment I was in uh, walked into the U.S. House, I was in the U.S. House for four years. Dale was just uh, the most supportive, the, the kindest, most encouraging person uh, that I worked with. Uh, he was Mr. Flint, and mm. he also was the champion for working men and women, and made it very clear. Uh, that he thought people should have, you know, access to unions and good wages and good pensions. And he just, he fought for working people every day and uh, was an incredibly important uh, part of making sure that, that the working men and women have the support uh, that they need. But most most of all, he and, and Gail, uh, his wife, um, were just um, wonderful people. And so uh, I, um, I, I know that he... Um, he uh, strongly encouraged his nephew, Dan Kildee, who is now mm-hmm. a partner with me in so many areas uh, that we work on together for Michigan. But um, he he was just really an amazing man. Yeah, yeah, he was. Okay, uh, let's talk now about this new mental health initiative, why it's important, and uh, how you've gotten as far as you have, as you point out, this is something you've been working on for a really long time, and it's something that we have gotten wrong in Michigan 
as I said, at least since uh, the 1990s when, when Governor Engler made the changes that, that he made. First, uh, talk, about, um, talk about what this new initiative represents and uh, where we go from here. Absolutely. And you're right, Stephen, that in Michigan, um, ever since uh, Governor Engler shut down the hospitals that didn't provide community services, funding for community services, we've just seen, you know, a worse and worse situation happening for people. And I should say, stepping back, even prior to COVID, uh, we know that about one out of five people in Michigan will have some kind of a mental health issue in their lifetime. And that the number one uh, cause of death of someone under age 50 is a drug overdose. And so uh, both addiction treatment and mental health issues are their health care. And, um, and we need to treat them as health care. And that's the whole point of this. Uh, this whole process of transforming the system actually started a few years ago when I was working with a Republican colleague, Roy Blunt from Missouri, uh, on funding health centers. He and I lead the effort on community health centers, of which we have many well-established health centers around Michigan. And the way they get funding is they have to meet high-quality standards of health care, and then they get full funding through Medicaid, through insurance. They can fully pay their staff as health care providers. But in mental health and addiction, it's grants. So the grant stops and starts. So, you know, you, you, um, if somebody walks into a clinic and says, I want to deal with my addiction right now, I'm finally ready to do it. And you say to them, well, come back in six months. We don't have the funding now. That's just not going to work. I mean, we know what happens in that circumstance. Or somebody else who, who um, now in, in COVID, you know, uh, says, I, I really need some help to, to deal with what's been happening for me or for my family. So what I've been working on, and, and the culmination has now come to Michigan, is, um, first of all, doing uh, creating high-quality standards for what we do with uh, behavioral health in the community. Mm-hmm. We've been funding startup grants. We have 33 across uh, Michigan, 23 of those in uh, Detroit, Wayne, Oakland, Macomb counties. And yesterday we announced that clinics will get the full funding, the clinics uh, within this next step will get, just like the health center, just like the health center, the clinic's going to get full Medicaid funding to support whoever needs help. I mean, right now, um, uh, the local community mental health folks only get Medicaid funding for the most serious situations, not everyone who needs help. And so whoever walks in the door, whoever needs help, is going to get help. And the, one of the most important things is that we require 24-hour psychiatric emergency services. And that's one of the reasons that uh, around the state and around the country where this has already been happening, police officers are the biggest supporters of this effort. Because, And what we've seen in areas that have been doing this for the last couple of years is there's about a 60% reduction in the number of people that go to jail who don't need to be in jail, they just mm-hmm. need to get help. And so a police officer gets called, you know, they, they don't, aren't sure, they have no place else to take them, so they take them to jail or they sit with them in the emergency room. Now, with these fully funded clinics, there's a 24-hour psychiatric uh, emergency service. People will be able to get the care they need officers will be able to to take people uh, to a place that will be able to help them 
So, so what remains then of the work to to do to continue to, I guess, fill the gaps that exist in sure. mental health here? Well, this is really important because, first of all, um, this process of getting funding has been a step by step. Actually, over the last. Um, seven years for me since we first passed the law to create the high standards. Um, and, and it's not yet national. Michigan is now part of the initiative, this transformative uh, initiative. But in the Build Back Better budget, I am uh, working very hard to make sure we can have this be something that is, you know, national, uh, just part of our healthcare system. So that's um, very important. And we still have more work to do to get fully funded clinics in every part of Michigan. But then there's other pieces that this does not address. We know that um, having 24-hour psychiatric uh, crisis services will go a long way to get uh, support and immediate help for folks. But it doesn't address the need for inpatient uh, beds. You know, when you were talking about former Governor Inger shutting down all the hospitals, mm-hmm. truth is we didn't need people warehoused in hospitals that could be able to get support in the community and go back to living their lives and then go back to work and so on. But we do need um, uh, inpatient beds for people who need them. And so the, the next piece of it really is about uh, how we are able to get more inpatient beds. There's a real need for, for children, for young people, to get um, short-term inpatient beds to work with uh, community mental health mm-hmm. and uh, it is, as well as beds for adults. So what we need is a continuum of care. We want to focus on the community. We know that for most people, uh, the combination of getting uh, help, getting counseling, getting appropriate medication and so on means that uh, they can, just like any other chronic disease, you know, if um, uh, if, if uh, you're a diabetic, you can go on medication, you can monitor uh, your medications and so on and continue to live your life. For much of what's happening in the area of mental health, if folks get the right help, they can monitor that, they, just like any other chronic disease, just because it's in the brain, it's just another part of the body, and, and folks can go on and live their lives. And so, so that's very important. And we need to feel confident with folks reaching out and asking for help. Um, you know, it, it's, it um, shouldn't be something people are embarrassed about if you have a disease sure. that affects um uh, your brain um, and addiction, re, you know, reconfigures, reprograms your brain, uh, and uh, you have to go through a lot of work to, you know, undo that. Um, but the, the reality is that um, folks should feel comfortable, and, and we need to make sure people feel comfortable reaching out and saying, "Hey, I need some help." Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm talking with Senator Debbie Stabenow, a Democrat from here in Michigan about a new mental health initiative being put together uh, by uh, folks in Washington and folks here in Michigan to try to fill some of the gaps that we have in mental health services in the state, gaps that we've had now for several decades and that uh, it has been really challenging to figure out how to fill. Uh, We want to hear from you during this conversation as well. Call and uh, let us know what your experiences have been trying to get mental health services here in Michigan. Is it easy to to find help or is it a struggle? What would you like to see happen 
to make it easier for everyone in our state to be able to reach those services and to make them affordable. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. We've already got full phone lines here. This is a subject that always gets a lot of response. Let's start with Anthony in Southwest Detroit. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, good morning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do. I think this program sounds really wonderful. I think it's great. Um, I just had a question, you know, about, you know, medical services in general. I know the senator said she has concerns about how if we had a single-payer system, how that would affect people who receive coverage through unions. So I'd ask, you know, why doesn't she think our old State Labor Secretary, uh, Representative Levin, has that same concern. Hmm. Uh, great question. Uh, uh, Anthony, thanks for the call. Uh, Senator Stabenow, talk about ideas like Medicare for All and why you have been hesitant to embrace them. Well, first of all, thanks for the question, Anthony. And I should say, I think you said Southwest, you're from Southwest Detroit. I wanted to just mention that, that one of our... Um, Conference of Clinics now being funded is Southwest Counseling Solutions. I was just down there not long ago. Um, they're really um, doing a great job, and mm-hmm. so um, that's a that's an important um, facility in the community. Um, from my standpoint, uh, just as what I've been doing in um, behavioral health, mental health, and addiction, um, step by step building this out. I think that's what needs to happen overall in uh, our healthcare system. And uh, what I wish had happened back with the, in the ACA, the Affordable Care Act was a very important step because it basically said to, to everyone, you have a right to have affordable healthcare to uh, be able to access the healthcare you need. And it changed people's expectations about healthcare, that yes, we do need to do that. At the time, I really pushed though, um, for for two things that I think would have made a difference if they had happened. One was what we call a public option, where uh, the federal government would create real competition by basically letting people choose Medicare, a structure like Medicare, um, if they wanted to, rather than private insurance, and then let people choose and see how that would work and how that would affect prices. I, I still support that strongly as a step forward to see how that works. Mm. Um, at the time, also, I was working with a colleague to try to lower the age of Medicare to age 55. We were very close to having that happen, one vote away from making that happen. I think that would have been a really important thing to do as well. There's a lot of folks in their 50s right now in limbo, or maybe they have to because of the job they have retire uh, in their 50s or early 60s. And I think that would have been really important. So I think in, I support um, more health care, and it's a question of how do you get it done. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm somebody who's shown that I know how to get things done, and, um, and it's really a step-by-step building process. That so, I mean, is it, is it fair to say then that, that you prefer to sort of incrementally try different approaches to making sure that more people get care rather than an all-in-one step forward like Medicare for All. Is that is that a fair distinction? Well, I want to get more health care to folks, and we don't have the vote for Medicare for All. 
<clears throat> that's just not something that I see is just going to happen. All in, in one fell swoop, what we need to do is um, have a an option, a public option that people mm-hmm. can choose or not choose to see how that works for them and then build out from there. I mean, that's the practical way that we move forward. We can have the bigger debate, which is fine. It's not going to move the ball in getting more people health care mm-hmm. because it's just I don't see um, – I don't see that happening all in one fell swoop. I'm, as somebody who was very involved you know, in uh, the Affordable Care Act and moving us forward and trying to do as much as we could, what I see is um, people have to um, uh, buy in, see this works for them, and then and then we build on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Anthony, thanks for the call and the really great question. Let's go next to Mike in Bloomfield Hills. Mike, what's on your mind? Oh, first I'd like to thank W. Savinow for uh, bringing this topic and you to bring it to the public. Uh, well, this year, I'd like to start with saying uh, last year I just got out of doing a five-year prison bit, and I was mm. uh, already on a drug case. I relapsed. And the judge, instead of I had a bed waiting for me in rehab, instead of letting me go to the rehab, the judge decided to send me to five years in prison instead of getting the help I needed. Oh, no. And uh, mm. I don't know if this is still continuing. I do know that it's a, uh, an issue in our courts that they don't recognize that prison is not a place to get help. Right. It is a place to make your life more of a struggle. So, Mike, can, can you talk just a little about what you were, what you were sentenced for for five years in prison? Uh, well, the relapse is what made it five years. I was supposed to get three years for selling uh selling drugs okay back okay. in the case started in 2009 but but a non-violent a non-violent crime correct yeah mike i, I really appreciate your 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 call and you sharing your story i mean this opens up a whole other dimension of this issue and the narrative around it which is how we how we make sure that even uh, even with the the spare services and mental health supports that we have, we have a criminal justice system that oftentimes is not taking advantage of that and instead re- relying on incarceration. Uh, uh, Debbie, I'll give you a chance to respond sure. to Mike as well. Well, Mike, I really appreciate your calling. I really appreciate your um, talking a little bit about your story. And I'm sorry that you've gone um, through this. And um, And you're right. You need help you need support and um you know just sitting um in a, a prison cell is not going to give you the help that and i don't know what is available where you are but i i know in general it's it's not as comprehensive certainly as it should be um it's hard um you know i i don't say this from personal experience but from family members um just you know how how hard it is in terms of uh, addiction i mean uh, all, all the complications around that, but from a personal level, it, it for a person, I mean, this is something that affects you physiologically. It changes the programming in your brain. It takes concerted help, constant, you know, a continuous everyday um, help to be able to reprogram your brain, to be able to get yourself out of that cycle. And so um, the whole point of the the clinics um, is to provide that kind of help and 
I, I'm really sorry if you're not able to get that right now, but I, I wish you all the best, and I would urge you if you have the capacity to, you know, to uh, have phone conversations with people, or I don't know what, you know, if you have the capacity to be able to do anything online or telehealth. I mean, there, there are folks out there that can, um, that certainly can help and talk to you. And I, w- I would urge you to get, you know, to keep at it. Don't give up. Yeah. Mike, I, I wish you all the luck uh, as well. And again, I really appreciate you listening and, and calling in. Okay. U.S. De- Senator Debbie Stabenow, of course, we didn't get to the other things on my list that I wanted to talk to you about, but that happens a lot <laughs> when we are uh, together and talking about things we get carried away. But uh, we'll have you back soon to talk about the other things that are going on in, in Washington. But thanks very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Take care. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to change the subject and talk about the redistricting process here in Michigan, something that I see people's heads exploding all over the place about as the draft maps continue to come forward. We're going to talk with two experts who say that the process we're going through, however painful it might be, is better and is going to produce better results than what we used to see when state legislators had control of this process. Maybe a controversial position right now, given some of the maps that are out there, but a provocative position for sure. Stay tuned for more Detroit Today.